So turning our attention now to Matthew 5, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Over the past several weeks, these are the questions that have been the focus of our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And within those questions comes another set of questions. How are disciples of Jesus supposed to live in this world? How should our presence be felt? And the presence of the church in our culture is still predominant enough that even those who wouldn't claim to follow Christ probably have some idea of how the church is supposed to exist in the world. And because as with other aspects of discipleship, we need Jesus himself to bring definition to this. He alone has all authority, and so he alone defines for us what it means to faithfully be in this world. And the answer that Jesus gives here in Matthew 5 cuts right to the heart of the mission of the church. It casts this grand and glorious vision of what it means for you and I who follow Christ to live in our world, to live in our families, in our jobs, in our city, in our neighborhood, what it means to have that presence as a disciple. And if we're honest, we have to acknowledge that often our presence, and we need to own this ourselves, First City Church, our presence can be a mixed bag. We can compromise. We can sort of self-righteously get angry and shake our fist at the world. We can sometimes retreat. So we need the words of Jesus to correct us and to train us and disciple us and enliven and empower us to live faithfully. So if you are a disciple of Christ, you need his words this morning to give you that vision and remind you of what you're called to as a child of God. But I'm also mindful of three other groups this morning. Those of you who have been burned by the church, maybe you have been hurt by poor leadership or unloving church community, or you're just kind of tired with, of all of the, the glitz and glamour and programs and talk of money. What, I just got done talking about money, so you're probably really upset right now. Um, all of the things that sort of make church just like a, oh, and you, and you just have been hurt by that. I'm also mindful of some of you in here who are just bored with church. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life and other things are more exciting to you. Man, you can get fired up about politics, or you can get fired up about sports, or you can get fired up about a lot of other things, but the church and the mission of the church, you're just like, what's the deal? What's the big deal? And some of you in here, you're just skeptical. You're here, but you wouldn't necessarily claim to follow Christ. You're skeptical because of the things you've seen the church do that seem to run against the message. You see the, the hypocrisy and you see the mess. You see what appears to be people being judgmental and you're skeptical. Wherever you are this morning, know that Jesus has a word for you about his mission and about his people that is greater than your pain, greater than your boredom, and greater than your skepticism. And so here's the main idea I want us all to internalize. As those who have received the blessing of the gospel, the church is to be a blessing to the world as salt and light. So the first thing I want to do here is I want to define the concepts of salt and light for us that Jesus is using. Then I want to connect them to the overarching theme in Scripture of how the people of God are to live in the world. There's an important subtext to what Jesus is saying 
that we need to grasp in order to kind of catch the full meaning of what he is telling his disciples. So Jesus first uses the metaphor of salt to illustrate the nature of the identity of his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. Now notice, he doesn't say be salt. He doesn't say become salt. He says you are salt. Identity. This is who you are. When God makes you a disciple of Jesus by the power of his spirit, you become spiritually salty, so to speak. Now, what does that mean? Well, the metaphor gives us the answer. What does salt do? Salt flavors food and salt preserves food. Salt brings out the flavor of food. Any of you put salt on an apple? I don't understand why, but I mean, I understand why, but I don't. It brings out the flavor of an apple. Some of you might do it on watermelon. I love salt on my eggs, my scrambled eggs. Some of you just coming out of Thanksgiving, maybe you had to put some salt on that turkey because it's a little too dry. Salt brings the flavor out of food. Salt also preserves food. In the time of Christ and in the ancient world, salt was used to preserve food, especially meat. Salt keeps food from spoiling and going rotten. Today, we have things like refrigerators or benzoic acid and potassium sorbate. (laughs) Disciples of Christ, like salt, are to bring out the flavor of human life. They are to salt the earth with righteousness and goodness and mercy and peace and justice. Their presence is intended to bring out the depth and beauty and meaning of the full range of human experience. Disciples of Jesus are also to have a preserving effect, to push back against sin and evil and corruption and oppression, to prevent decay from further taking root in our world and sin having further damaging effects. Jesus also uses the metaphor of light to illustrate the nature of the identity of his disciples. You are the light of the world. Again, don't become light. Don't try to be light. You are light. This is your identity as a disciple. When God makes you a disciple of Jesus, he causes you to spiritually shine light. And what are the properties of light? Well, light allows us to see. We can see each other in this room because there is light. Light reveals what is hidden. It illuminates what is really there. Light also directs. It illumines our path. It allows us to see where we are going and sort of leads us in the direction we need to go. So disciples of Jesus are meant to shine the light of the gospel into a dark world. They're to shine the light of truth and goodness and justice, righteousness, mercy, grace, all of these things that the Beatitudes pointed us to. Shine those things into a world darkened by sin. They're to shine a light that points people who are lost in darkness to the one true God and the one true message of salvation. Church, as those who have received the blessing of the gospel, we are to be a blessing to the world as salt and light. And what Jesus calls his disciples here too is nothing new. As those blessed by redemption and salvation, God's people have always been called to be a blessing to the world as salt and light. Or to put this another way, since humanities fall into sin, since we all fell into sin, God has been on a great mission of redemption to bring, to bring blessing to a sin-cursed world. And he has invited his people into that mission with him. 
And so to understand Jesus's words here, we need to do a little biblical theology, meaning we need to trace some themes through scripture to see how this has always been the call of God on his people. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, great, let's, let's go through them. Otherwise, the, the passages will be on the screen. But in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, God makes a promise to, the, to Abraham. And this is what he tells Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here is the promise that God makes to Abraham. Abraham, I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you personally. I'm going to bless your offspring, your descendants. And in blessing you and in blessing them, you're going to go and be a blessing to the rest of the world. Your descendants are going to bless this earth. And what we learn in scripture is that the descendants of Abraham become the nation of Israel. God blesses Israel with redemption and salvation and takes them as his people. In Exodus 19, four through six, this is what the Lord tells Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself saves them out of sin and slavery in Egypt. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Saves them out of slavery and sin, takes them as his treasured possession, blessing. And then out of that blessing, they're called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, What do priests do? They represent God to people. They mediate between God and people. And so the nation of Israel was supposed to stand between God and the world and point to God. This is who the true God is. They were were to be a light. They were to salt the earth with righteousness and goodness. As a holy nation, the way they lived their life was to salt this earth with peace and justice and righteousness and goodness, pointing people to the one true God. They were to draw all the nations to the Lord as they lived out as salt and light to the world. This is what Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 8 says. This is Moses speaking to the people. See, I have taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. So as Israel walked in the statues of the Lord, as they walked in righteousness and justice and peace and purity and goodness, the nations looked at them and go, wow, what, what is going on over there? That there is a God that near to the people, that they follow such goodness and righteousness like nowhere else on this earth. So there's something unique about the way that they walked. They salted this earth with blessing. And the nations were like, we want some of that. How can we experience that? What is going on there? 
This is how God intended his people to walk. This is the effect, the blessing that they were to be to this earth as those who have been blessed by God. However, and if you're familiar with scripture, you know how the story goes. Though all Israel was called to be a blessing, to to flavor the world with righteousness and goodness and to push back against sin and corruption and let the light of God's truth shine through them, they failed. This is how Steve Timmis puts it. The tragedy of Israel's history is that instead of drawing the nations to the ways of the Lord, they were drawn to the ways of nations. They lost their saltiness when they started acting like the nations, when they fell into sin and corruption. They lost their saltiness. Now, if you're a a chemistry geek or if you're a cook, you know, hey, salt is a stable compound. You can't, salt can't lose its saltiness. What's going on there? Okay, true. Salt as a compound, pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. But what Jesus has in mind here is a form of salt that was impure. So in his time and in other times in the ancient world, oftentimes the salt that was used was taken from salt marshes. And so you had this white powder that looked like salt, but it was actually only partly pure salt. It had other impurities and other compounds in it. And when it got wet or the the moisture, humidity, the salt would often dissolve. And so what you were left with was the impurity. So that salt, what they called salt, actually lost its flavor. It lost its ability to preserve meat. And so what they would do with this salt that had lost its saltiness is they would throw it on the ground or they would put it on their roofs because the roof was actually used as kind of a living space or a gathering space. And it would harden the ground and allow them to walk on it. Or for the roof, it would, sort of, it would create a waterproofing system, so to speak. And so they threw it on the ground and walked on it. This salt couldn't preserve, it couldn't flavor, it was only good for hardening ground and walking on the ground. And this is essentially what happens to Israel. They no longer flavor the world with righteousness and justice and goodness. They're no longer a blessing to the nations. But though the people of God failed to be a blessing, God's promise of blessing, that he was going to bless all of the nations through the descendants of Abraham, that promise did not fail. Though Israel failed, God had not failed. God was still on mission. He's still going to bless the people, all of the people of the world, through the offspring of Abraham. And he does this by sending his son. So this season of Advent, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus, fits into our text this morning because it points to the mission of God to bless the world. This is what Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 tells us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God was sending a blessing into the world, his son into the world. And what was the effect? He was gonna salt the earth with righteousness and justice, and peace. He is going to do what Israel failed to do. Jesus is also a great light. Isaiah 49, 6 says, it is, too, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light 
for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God is still faithful to the nations. God is still faithful to bless this world with light, with truth. And he sends Jesus into the world to be that light, to point us to what is true and what is good and what is beautiful, to point us to the one true God and the way of salvation. And then when you go to Matthew 1, if we were to go to the beginning of the gospel of Matthew and we were to read the genealogy of Jesus, where does Matthew start? He starts with Abraham and he traces the genealogy all the way to Jesus. What is Matthew's point in that? He's saying that promised blessing that God gave all the way back in history to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The offspring, the descendant, the descendant that would bless all of the nations is Jesus Christ. God was faithful to save. God was faithful to bless. The salt that Israel failed to be, Christ perfectly fulfilled. The light that Israel failed to be, Christ perfectly fulfilled. The blessing that Israel failed to be, Christ perfectly fulfilled. This is what God has been up to in his plan of redemption to bring blessing. And the Apostle Paul connects all of this for us. This is what he writes about the blessing of Abraham that God says in Genesis 12 and and connects it with Christ. This is from Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. What Paul is saying is that the gospel was preached to Abraham. The gospel is all the way through scripture. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's the entire message of scripture. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Here's the good news of the gospel. That blessing that God spoke to Abraham, I'm gonna bless your descendants, that wasn't only for ethnic descendants. It wasn't only for blood descendants. Paul says here, anyone who puts their faith in Christ becomes a descendant of Abraham, a son of Abraham. It means if you are in Christ, that blessing that God promised way back in history now belongs to you. And so the blessing that God brings through Christ, greater than any of your sins, greater than any of your suffering, greater than any of your mistakes, greater in all the ways that you've blown it, all the ways that you have lived out the curse of sin, that you have not been salt, you've not been light, Christ takes that sin, takes that curse upon himself so that you can receive blessing. This is the mission that God is on. And so for those of you following Christ faithfully, here, this is the mission that Christ has fulfilled. Those of you who are, have been burned by the church, see greater than your pain is the blessing that God has brought and fulfilled through Christ. Those of you bored with church, let me just say, you are missing in a very, very profound way the power of the gospel that Christ has fulfilled this promise through history When everything else around failed, he steps into history to save and to bring blessing. Politics can't touch that. Sports can't touch that. 
any other distraction or form of entertainment cannot touch that message and that blessing. You want to talk about fun history. You want to talk about history that will blow your mind and all of the intricate and small ways that God worked his purposes into the world to bring Christ into the world and he saved us. That's greater than any program you're going to see on the History Channel. They've tried, but they can't quite grasp it. The history here, the profound nature of this blessing that God has brought speaks a greater word than our boredom and our pain and our skepticism. Richard Bauckham beautifully summarizes God's heart and mission of blessing. Wherever human life enjoys the good things of creation and produces the good fruits of human activity, God is pouring out his blessing. Salvation too is God's blessing since salvation is the fulfillment of God's purposes for creation. Purposes already expressed in creation. But salvation is the fulfillment of God's promise in spite of the damage evil does to God's creation. The Abrahamic blessing is more than the blessing of creation because it is designed to contend with and to overcome its opposite, God's curse. The ultimate goal of God's promise to Abraham is that blessing will prevail over curse. It does so when the seed of Abraham, the singled out descendant of Abraham, the Messiah, becomes a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The gospel is that in Christ Jesus, the curse has been set aside and God's creative purposes for the blessing of his creation is established beyond any possibility of reversal. Blessing has come and that blessing is undoing the curse and that cannot be undone by your sin, by my sin, by any power, by any agenda of man, by any act of history, blessing has come and the end of history will be blessing. This is the mission that God is on. And for the disciples of Jesus in Matthew 5, the disciples of Jesus today, the promise and the call are the same. The people of God are still on mission to be a blessing to this world. This is what the apostle Peter, who is sitting with Jesus, when when Jesus is giving these words in Matthew 5, Peter's there. This is what he writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sound familiar? A people for his own possession. Sound familiar? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Same language. Same language that God used for his people in the Old Testament. Here it is for us today because it's the same mission. It's the same blessing. Church, we're called to salt this earth with righteousness and goodness and justice and peace. We belong to God. We've been blessed by the gospel. And so we are to be a blessing to the world as salt and light. So let's get into this, to be salt and light. If you are a disciple of Christ, that's your identity. If if you look at the history and what God has accomplished in Christ, if you belong to him, that is your identity. The same identity he gave his disciples in Matthew 5, he gives to you. And so our presence should flavor this world. Our presence should push back against sin and evil. Our presence should shine light in darkness and point people to truth and goodness and beauty. 
We aren't in a holding pattern. And I've said this multiple times. We aren't in just some holding pattern here, just hanging out until the end of history and Christ returns. We aren't holed up in a bunker. No, we are to be in this world. We are to have a presence in this world. But we're also to be distinct, to be salt and light. To be a disciple means we follow Jesus, not this world. Our values, our ethics, our desires must reflect the kingdom, must reflect what Jesus has established. If we fail to follow Christ, then we are not salt and light. And so let's remember that we are distinct in our identity. Now, this doesn't mean that we are better than everybody else. Look, apart from the grace and mercy of God and apart from the spirit to transform us, we're not salt and light. In our sin, we are no different than anyone else. In a shared humanity with everybody else, this is who we are. But if you belong to Christ, you've been transformed. If you belong to Christ, you have a new identity. If you belong to Christ, your sin has been forgiven and you've been set free and you've been made salt and light. And so you are distinct. And we cannot forget that we are distinct in this world. Here's the other thing, too. When we think of blessing, what do you think of that word? If you're anything like me, sometimes the word blessing kind of has this like sentimental mushiness to it. Like someone just walks around, oh, bless your heart. It's like a Hallmark card. And you're like, you know, blessing, that's kind of a weird thing to think. You know, I'm a blessing, you know. But biblically speaking, the word blessing has teeth to it. It's not sentimental mush. It's not Hallmark card, sappy sweet. Jesus called us the salt of the earth, not the sugar of the earth. The salt of the earth. Salt has bite to it. Light, when you shine light in someone who's been standing in darkness, you put light on their eyes, it can be painful. Like for for them to adjust, it can hurt. And so salt and light have this effect where it confronts Redemption, blessing that God brings confronts sin. It includes judgment. It includes purifying the earth and purifying his people. So for us to be a blessing means we step into places of sin, places of brokenness, and we speak truth. We confront. And so this is why it's important for us to understand we don't hunker down and hide. We actually enter into this world to be salt and light. For salt to preserve meat, it has to be rubbed in. And so we have to be rubbed into our world. We have to get into the mess and the brokenness and the pain in order to be salt and in order to be light. Salting the world with righteousness and goodness and mercy means going to places where these things don't exist. And so church, our call is to be proactive. And so think of it this way. Church, we're not just a meeting. We're not just a series of programs. We're not an accountability group that gets together to just do some sin management. We're not just a nice social club that does little service projects in our community and then just goes home feeling good about ourselves. We're not a political voting block. 
We are the redeemed people of God called on mission with God to be salt and light in this world for his glory. We are called to be salt and light so that the nations can be blessed by the gospel. That is who we are. That is what we've been called into. And if you're bored with the church, may I suggest you've missed that. So let me encourage you, see the calling of God on your life. See the nature of the people of God. And be moved, be encouraged, be challenged, be excited about the mission God has given you. And so if we think through what this means practically, and if we we follow the train of thought that Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, and we kind of think about how the Beatitudes are connected to this, consider this. Salt this earth with meekness. Let the flavor of humility be experienced by those around you. That they can see the goodness that comes when you stop striving and stop posturing and trying to perform and trying to get ahead in the world and trying to step on people. There's a beautiful flavor that comes when we show a poverty of spirit and say, hey, I don't have it all together and I can confess sin and I can depend upon the Lord and his grace. Flavor the world with that. And push back against the pride and the posturing and the hypocrisy and the faking and the hiding. Salt the earth with your mourning. Flavor this world with the goodness of, hey, there's a whole range of human experience and it is good to feel. It is good to experience those emotions because what happens then is you're set free to actually experience comfort. And so flavor the world with that. Push back against those who want to bury with fantasy, bury with numbing. The the corrosive and the destructive effect of when people try to just bury their pain with drugs and sex and pleasure and all the other things that we run to and how that hardens us. It makes us a shell of a human being. Oh, they need the salt, they need the light of what it means to mourn. Salt this world with righteousness and purity. Step into places where righteousness and purity don't exist and let people savor the goodness of those things. How our world is crying out for purity. Whether it be sexual purity, whether it be financial purity, I mean, you just go purity down the list where, where There is a wholeness, there is a goodness, there's a righteousness to it. It just seems like corruption is all over the place. And we're called to step in and salt this earth with a purity and a righteousness and a goodness that shows people, hey, there's a better flavor. Push back of the ways that this world corrupts sexuality and corrupts the use of money and corrupts the use of power and corrupts relationships. Salt this earth with mercy in being a peacemaker. Flavor this world with compassion for those who are broken by sin. Flavor this world with forgiveness for those who sin against you. Step into places where there is no peace and show the sweet flavor of peace. Work for justice and righteousness. Push back against the tribalism and the racism and the sexism and the political divisions and all the hatred and vitriol that gets spewed in our world. 
Oh, if we step in with the flavor of mercy and peacemaking and preserve against that sin and corruption, that's our mission, church. That's what we're called to. That's why you get out of bed in the morning. That's why you go into your world and don't just hang out in your bunker. This world is desperate for the flavor of those who have been blessed by the gospel. And the beauty is in all of these things, we shine as lights pointing to the glory of God. We're cities set on a hill. So here's here's Jesus' point here. Whether we like it or not, here's what's happened to us in Christ. Jesus takes us and goes, hey, you're going to be up on this hill and everybody's going to see you. And I'm going to draw people to you. The light that I'm shining through you, people are going to be drawn to. So guess what? The world's going to watch you. The world's watching. Because the Holy Spirit is drawing people to us. It's not you and me and we're awesome. It's the Holy Spirit in us that God is drawing people to. And so whether we like it or not, we've been set on a hill. And so let's just let our light shine. Let's break out in that song, this little line of mine. No, not going to do that. <clears throat> but that's the, the, the wonder of our mission is that God has set us on this hill. And so we can use different analogies. We can think of ourselves, hey, as lighthouses. And so we spread light into our culture. We speak to our culture. We speak the gospel to our world and to our city. But then we're also like street lamps. We get down in the nook and crannies of our world, down in the streets, down in the alleyways to shine light. But we are lights. We are lights illuminating a dark path. And if you've ever seen a creative display of people taking lights and illuminating maybe their deck or a path or something, it can be beautiful, right? It's not just that we're drawing people with truth, but there's a beauty to it. And the beauty is, is the light contrasting the darkness. And so you and I, when we shine our lights and we as a church together shine our lights, beauty is created. That is what God is up to. That is what our mission is. That is how we are to be a blessing. Beauty is attractive. We want those far from Christ to come to this community and taste what it means to be part of the family of God. We want them to taste the blessing of the gospel We want them to see the light of the gospel and glorify our Father. And so church, do you see your calling? Do you hear in the words of Jesus the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for his people to be a blessing, to be a part of the blessing that God has accomplished? Do you understand the effect our presence is to have in the world I don't want to minimize if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been burned by the church. I've experienced that myself. But what refreshes us, what reminds us, what shakes us out of our focus on our pain is that picture of the glorious purposes of God. And so I'd say, turn your eyes away from your pain into what Christ has called you into. If you're bored with the church, turn your eyes from that boredom and see what God has called you into. And if you're skeptical of the church, Can I just lovingly say this? Stop watching CNN and Fox News and getting on Twitter and go to scripture and see what Jesus has to say about the church. See what Jesus has to say about the mission of the church. Look, there are a lot of people speaking for the church that are completely missing it. Go to the only authority, Jesus Christ, and there you will see what the church is meant to be. Now, if you have a problem with that, fine, but at least go to the truth. So let me just say this in conclusion. 
Though we've called to be a blessing, remember what Jesus says right before this. You will be persecuted. Sin and evil and rebellion doesn't want to be salted. Darkness doesn't want light exposing it. So even though we speak and live as a blessing to this world, don't expect a standing ovation. We are going to be opposed. But that doesn't stop us from loving and serving this world. It doesn't stop us from being salt and light. It doesn't mean we stop caring. No, we care. We're broken by the world's sin. We want the world to be salted with righteousness and goodness. We want the light of the gospel to shine that people may glorify God. And so even when the world hates us and opposes us and pushes back against us, we continue to be salt and light. That is exactly what Jesus did. He brought the blessing of salvation to a world that hated him and strung him up on a cross. But it is through his sacrifice that the blessing of God has gone to all nations. And so church, as those who have been blessed by the gospel, let us go into our world and be a blessing as salt and light. Amen?